welcome to the one in one podcast or below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. My guest today is Kayla Dietz, who played lacrosse at San Diego State University from 2014 to 2017. Kayla, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, you're from Simsbury, Connecticut. You come from a very athletic family. Your dad, Terry, played baseball at Navy and then went on the show Survivor in 2006 and dominated in all the challenges. And, you know, he was a middle-aged guy beating these younger guys. It was so fun to watch. Your mom, Trish, played soccer at Salve Regina. And your younger brother, Danny, was a standout football and lacrosse player at Simsbury High School. Pretty athletic family. Yeah, I guess it runs in the blood. <laughs> For sure. So how did you get into lacrosse? It's actually pretty funny. So I grew up playing soccer. I played soccer for about 18 years. That was my, my main sport. I also played baseball. My dad was super into having me play baseball, and I played hockey for about a year. But lacrosse kind of came as a wave to my town. It is a really preppy town, and lacrosse became really popular. And one of my good friends, their mom was the lacrosse coach, and she was like, you should play, you should do this. So me and a couple of my good friends who played soccer started to get into it. And um, it's pretty funny because there were these, like, more elite club lacrosse teams, but me and a couple of my friends weren't allowed to play on that team because we played soccer year-round. And the people who were running the lacrosse program were like, well, if you can't decide between lacrosse and soccer – you can't play on the elite team. You have to just play like on the house league team. So it's pretty funny. So me and my three friends, we end up just playing on the house team and wasn't great. Um, but we were the only three girls that ended up making varsity freshman year. So that, oh, that wow. was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Karma, right? So you never exactly. played club lacrosse. Uh, so once I um, was in, like, high school, I started playing club. Gotcha. Yeah, you probably got yeah. a little bit more serious about it. Yeah, definitely. So you played baseball. You never played softball? No. <laughs> no, my dad was very big into baseball. So <laughs> I only played um, up until AAA. Once it started getting a kid pitch and I kept getting hit with the pitches, I, I <laughs> said, yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. That hurts. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, my dad was super into that. So that was really cool. Very yeah, cool. Coach me. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you said you're into soccer growing up. What position were you in soccer? So it's funny. I kind of played all around the place. Um, I was a midfielder to kind of start off when I was super young, and I would dabble with goalies sometimes just for fun. Um, but once I got up into like high school. Um, I was on JV my freshman year, and I mostly played midfield. I'm a righty, but I have a pretty good left foot too, so I play outside left mid. And then um, as I got older, like when I was on varsity, I ended up becoming like a striker. So I I went in between like left outside mid and striker. So, and I would like, I usually would take the corner kicks and stuff like that. Very cool. And what about lacrosse? What was your position there? So in High school, I was always a mid. I was always, I took the draw. I would not come out of the game, which is hysterical because you think about the college level, like middies are usually in and like a 
two to five minute shifts, sort of depending on what they can handle and how your coach likes to sub. But Mm -hmm. I would play midfield in high school. I would take the draw and I would be in the entire game, which is, (laughs) it's really funny to think back about now because that's just not how the game is played anymore, at least in college. But Mm -hmm. um, come my senior year, they sort of had me play at attack more because we needed more opportunity to score. And me and my other friends, um, Tess McKay, who ended up going to Holy Cross to play lacrosse, we were sort of like the goal scorers at the time, and my coach wanted us both at attack. And then when it came to me playing college at San Diego State, I definitely wasn't fast enough to stay a midfielder. I did have the stamina because of soccer, but um, definitely didn't have the college speed to be a midfielder. So when I got to college, I ended up playing attack. Okay. Sort of all over yeah. the place in uh, both sports. Yeah, sort of had to try everything out. <laughs> hey, I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. You were pretty young the first time your dad was on Survivor. Can you talk about that experience? Like, how was it having your dad on TV? It was really cool. So I was in fifth grade, and I always joke around. I say I peaked in fifth grade because it was, like, the coolest thing ever that my dad was on TV. Um, there was this local restaurant called Reno's and every Wednesday night when Survivor was on, we would go there with like a bunch of family and friends and just people from the town who wanted to watch it and they would play it on this huge screen. They would project it and like a bunch of people from town would come and watch it. My dad would be there and people would be asking him for his autograph and I just thought it was hysterical because I was like, Are you it's my dad, like come on, <laughs> not that cool, but he's pretty freaking cool. But um yeah, in, in school, it was pretty awesome. Back when, I feel like they don't really talk about tree mail that much anymore, but mm-hmm. they used to get tree mail with, like, these little trinkets that would show them sort of what the challenge was going to be like. And the first challenge, actually, that my dad won, he won this, like, amulet. Like, he had to crack this skull open and pull this amulet out. And I remember he, like, got it engraved and gave it to me once that episode aired and I brought it to school the next day and everyone was just like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Ah, that's awesome. It was really cool. But when he was gone, so he was gone for 39 days. And at first my mom didn't tell me and my brother what was up because, well, I was in fifth grade. So I was old enough to know like not to say anything because you're not, you know, like you're legally, you're not supposed to tell people. Mm Um, until the show airs, but my brother must have been, he was in like second grade at the time, and, and my mom wasn't sure if he would kind of spill the beans about everything. Um, and my dad's a pilot, so my parents kind of used the cover-up story that my dad was like away down in Pensacola or something just for pilot training, which he does have to do every now and then, and he goes, he's gone for about like two weeks. But so after like two weeks went by, my mom was like, just kidding, that's not where dad is, he's on Survivor, and me and Danny were like, what? That's so cool. <laughs> so we definitely missed him while he was gone, but we were so excited that he was going to be on TV. That's awesome. And had you watched the show before your dad was on it? Yeah, so not religiously really like my parents, but if it was on and they were watching it, me and my brother would kind of hang out and check out the challenges. But I was definitely too young at that point to really like appreciate the mental game of it all. But the challenges were definitely my favorite part, and I would hit being. If you've seen his season, like the challenges are obviously his favorite part as well. And he yeah, didn't for really sure. Have that much of 
didn't really have much of a social game, but the challenges <laughs> were definitely the coolest part. Absolutely. And I know your mom was on an episode during the family visit. Were you and Danny ever featured? Because sometimes they do like a video message. Did that happen that season? Yeah, it did. So it was, I don't remember what the challenge was, but I think it was like a handful. Either everyone got to see a video or just like the winning team did. But yeah, so it was a video of me, my mom, and my brother sitting on the couch with our old dog, Riley, and someone came over to our house and was filming us, and they're like, oh, just give me a message for your dad. Like, he's going to be so excited to see you, and we missed him, but we weren't sad that he was gone because we were so excited mm-hmm. about what he was doing, but the producer that came over to film it for us was like, okay, um, all right, so tell your dad you miss him, and we were like, go dad like we miss you so much and the producer's like no like maybe like cry or something and I was like (laughs) what I was like I'm not sad but oh my goodness if you go back and watch I don't know which episode it is it's hysterical I'm like I don't know how old are you in fifth grade I was like 10 or something I was like daddy I I miss you outwit outplay outlast I'm like fake crying it's hysterical I crack up every time I watch it (laughs) That's funny. You know, I feel like the producer should have just let you guys been fired up because I bet your dad would have loved that too. You know, amped him up a little bit more for the next challenge. Oh, for sure. He's also, he's an emotional guy though. So I think him seeing us like that, he was like, I got to bring back the money home for him. Like he wanted to make us proud. So (laughs) I'm I'm sure he loved it either way. But yeah, he, if we, if we didn't cry, he would have been fine. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you were even more popular at school the next day after uh, that episode aired, though, with uh, the video view. Yeah, probably. I honestly don't remember specifically, but yeah, it, it, was, it was definitely a crazy time. Yeah, and Survivor, I mean, it's been on, it's, it's season 40 now. Your dad was on season 12. So at the time, it was yeah. still a really popular show. It still is popular, obviously. It's on the air. But back then, it was even even more so. And your dad was just a beloved guy on that season because his tribe, they were, I guess, the underdogs. But your dad kept winning immunities. So it was one tribe alliance basically against him. And the tribe yeah. alliance all kind of hated each other and fought, but still stayed together. It was just so easy to root for your dad and just such a funny season. I loved it. Yeah, and it's pretty funny, too, because I feel like people either loved him or hated him on that season, and it's because some people would say, like, he was super arrogant and whatever, but what was never shown was that the whole, because he was the last one left from Molina, and then I forget what the other tribe was called, but they were basically telling him like every day at camp, they're like, you're going next beach. We're sending you home. You're, you're out of here, dude. And (laughs) he was like, all right, cool. Like basically I have to win this challenge or I'm going home. They already told me. So whenever he would win and he'd throw like a huge, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like big celebration. Everyone's like, Oh my God, he's so arrogant, such a showboat, whatever. But he's sitting there like, everyone's telling me they're going to send me home. So like, this is my ticket to stay another night. So that's just something that wasn't shown for the people who like did think he was super arrogant. Plus he's a really competitive guy. So obviously he's going to be excited when he wins. Yeah. And he won so much. Honestly, I'd be just as arrogant if I was him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. You got to be confident a little bit at least. Absolutely. And he came close, but didn't end up winning. I believe he placed third, right? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because 
the seasons after that, they changed it to final three instead of final right. two because people were saying how my dad kind of got screwed over. Yeah, absolutely. At that point, they would try to get the most athletic guy out right before the final two. Mm-hmm, yeah. But uh, not the last time your dad will be on Survivor. We'll, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But life probably goes back to normal for you guys after that experience. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, not right away. There were definitely a lot of um, events, like Survivor events, that following year that um, my dad and, like, our family attended. Um, I'd be out shopping with my dad, and someone would pull him to the side and be like, oh, my gosh, you Terry, and I'd end up sitting on the ground for about, like, 30 minutes while they would just cock his ear off about Survivor, and I would just be like, oh, my God, get over <laughs> it. It happened, like, months ago. <laughs> But um, yeah, eventually after like a couple of years, it did die down. But it's it's really surprising how people would still be like, oh my God, wait, your dad's Terry Deep? He's on Survivor? I was like, you really watched that? Wow. Like, it's, it's surprising how like the longevity of it. For sure. Now, do you still watch it today or no? I have not watched it recently. If I'm with my family and they're watching it, I watch it. Um, the challenges definitely interest me, especially if I'm not keeping up with it, the social game isn't something I really pay attention to because I don't know what's going on. But if True. I'm just tuning in for an episode, I love watching the challenges. It's always something I've been interested in. And I actually, I don't know if you know this, but I auditioned for a survivor when I was a senior in high school. Really? Yeah. So they did the blood versus water season and they wanted my mom and dad to go on the show so badly because it was the season where it was like family members, like returning family members against their actual other family members who'd mm-hmm. never played. And they really wanted my mom and my dad. God knows that would have been great drama. Um, <laughs> my mom is like so socially there. She would have been great TV. Um, but it was my senior year of high school. They would have missed my lacrosse season, my prom, my graduation. So my dad's like, well, what about if my daughter does it with me? And I was just about to turn 18, and that's, like, their cutoff age, even though I don't think they'd ever had anyone on the show younger than 21. Um, but on their rules, I guess, it says, like, you can be 18 to enter to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I sent them a video, and they flew me out to L.A., and I went to L.A. for a weekend, and I was basically, I was just, like, sequestered in a hotel room. I had meal times where I could go down to eat um, in like the dining area. And they told me to bring like a pen and paper and kind of like look around and see who else was there and like kind of write down things about them because the other people auditioning there, I think like Rupert's wife was there or something. And um, God, it was so long ago. I don't remember who else was there, but we would have gym time too. So I would like take notes on people who were like running on the treadmill at the gym. Like this person looks super fit and, so that was really cool, and I had um, an interview, and basically they ended up telling me they were going to send me back because I was too young. I had just turned 18, and they were like, oh, so how will you, if you have to vote out your dad, how will you be able to do that? And I, in my head, I'm thinking, I wouldn't vote my dad out, but I had to be like, oh, I would send my dad home right away. Like, I'm competitive. I want to win. Just kind of <laughs> saying what I thought they'd want me to say type thing, and mm-hmm. it ended up being a no-go, but that's a million percent something I would love to do. Wow. I mean, you're obviously over 18. You're over 21 at this point in your life. You should apply again. 
I know. I really should. Part of me wants them to, like, contact. I guess I could go through my dad. I wouldn't have to really, like, apply, like, like the average person would. I We kind of have connects through that, so that could yeah. possibly be an option. But in school right now, it's definitely not a good idea to do it now. But definitely in the future, that's something I would be interested in doing. Oh, my God. I would love watching you play. Obviously, you know, from this conversation, you can tell I'm a big Survivor fan. So <laughs> I'd be rooting for you if you're ever out there. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> of course. So now let's get back into your lacrosse career a little bit. You attend Simsbury High School, where you're a lacrosse standout. You played varsity all four years, and you also played soccer, as you mentioned. How was the mm. Simsbury lacrosse team? It was great. So it it was developing. So it was just starting to recently blow up and get popular. We had. Um, a new coach come in, I believe, for, like, the freshman team. But um, my coach was Kim Rabbit, and her husband was Bill Rabbit. And their son played uh, college lacrosse at LeMoyne. So Mr. Rabbit was, like, major into boys lacrosse, and he would come and help with the practices, too. Um, so we kind of had, like, a cool different dynamic of, like, men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse. He definitely taught us to be a little bit more gritty and um, – like take outside shots and like work on those roll dodges, like more boy type moves. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to me because when I went to college, it was like a, a bunch of like working out and getting fit, like hitting the weight room and then also obviously practicing. But I know a lot of people who went to high school and they're like, oh yeah, like before practice, like we had to go to the weight room and we had to run and do all this stuff. Like we definitely didn't do a lot of fitness and we never went to a weight room. I don't even know if that was, like, available to us. But, um, yeah, so that was interesting that it was, like, fitness wasn't really something we really worked on. It was just something everyone kind of already had. Or if you didn't have it, you have it, you kind of dealt with it on your own. But um, a lot of stick work for sure. And then when it came to playing, we there was definitely, like, a disparity on the team like there would be people who like me who like lacrosse was my life like I was obsessed with it like I wanted to play hard I wanted to win I wanted to work hard for my team and then there were definitely people who were just like oh whatever I'm just doing this for the social aspect which is definitely the case of a lot of athletes that play in high school I feel like a lot of people do it for the social aspect of it but there were people like me and like a handful of my friends who like, our freshman year, we knew, like, yeah, I want to go to college and play this. So it did get a little frustrating sometimes, especially people who I was really close with would be at practice and be like, yeah, I don't care at all, like, whatever. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, like, please care because we're all trying to do this together. So it's definitely interesting playing in high school and then transitioning to college where everyone that's there playing is there because, like, they're in love with the game and – they're good at it and they want to win. And that's definitely like eye opening and amazing for me to be a part of something like that coming from somewhere where it was just more of like a recreational thing. Like we would play schools like Darien or Greenwich and they were like intense, like, and that's not really how we were. It was more of like people doing it for fun, I guess. Yeah, I can understand that with high school sports in general. But as you mentioned, you did play club, too. Was the intensity there a little bit higher? Yeah, definitely. So I played um, 
for Rip It Lacrosse, which um, my friend Hannah Corcoran, her dad, Dan Corcoran, who also coached men's lacrosse at Conn College, he started up that program. So I played in that, and that was, like, a little bit more intense, obviously, because people are choosing to do it, and they're spending their money to play this lacrosse that's not affiliated with their school. So that was definitely a lot better. And then I played with Lax Plus as well. And we would have indoor practice in the winter. And, like, you're only there if you want to be there, basically. So you have a good group of people with a good mentality. Um, I also played on um, WDNT team, which is, like, a team you have to try out for. And that was really cool because a lot of the girls that were on my team were were way better than me. I don't know if you know who – Kenzie Kent is, but she just won Boston College's best athlete with like from the past forty years. Wow! So she played, she played hockey and like Division One hockey and Division One lacrosse at BC, and she was on my team when I played in the WDNT, um, which was insane. And like a couple of other girls, one girl went to Northwestern, I believe. Um, another girl went to. Uh, like uh, University of Albany or something. But, yeah, I, I was playing with these, like, top-tier girls where I was used to being, like, one of the best on my high school team to playing with these girls and feeling like I didn't compete anywhere near to how good they were. But it was amazing to play with them and, like, watch them and learn from them. Um, and that was really cool because I was always trying to improve. I was definitely never the fastest girl on the field, but um, I tried to make up for that with, like, being really ambidextrous and go with my left and my right hand and just really working on stick skills and uh, yeah, playing with these girls and watching them do behind the backs and all cool stuff like that was definitely a really great experience. Wow, for sure. And I'm sure that got you a lot better, you know, and, and ready for that transition to college where you're, you kind of knew going into college, you're not going to be the star that you were in high school right away. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of, freshmen going especially division one don't really realize you come from your small town and you're a big fish in a little pond and then you go to college and you're a very tiny fish in like an ocean of everyone who is also amazing so that's definitely one thing my coach Kylie White at San Diego State she did an amazing job like helping us realize that yes you're not the best anymore but you you're going to get there and just like keeping us confident, but also humbling us and realizing that we have a lot to learn still. And that was definitely something I needed to realize. And she helped me with that. And that definitely really helped me grow as a player. Sounds like a great coach. Yeah, she was awesome. At Simsbury though, you were a three time all conference and all state player, an honorable mention, all American your senior year. And you were a two year captain. So obviously, you're a sought-after recruit. What was that recruiting process like for you? It's pretty funny. So the my Rip It club team that I was playing on and my Lax Plus club team, they, they would do tournaments, but the tournaments that they went to weren't really heavily recruited ones. So I actually I, – um, I visited a couple colleges, and I had a couple of places – email me, but nowhere that I was, like, really interested in, and I had family out in San Diego, and we would go there and visit a lot, and I I lived there, like, a couple of summers and did junior lifeguards and all that fun stuff, and 
um, I went and visited San Diego State, and I had been to, like, a couple of schools back east. Like, I had seen UConn. I had seen, like, Ithaca and, God, I can't even remember, like, Villanova. And when I went to San Diego State, my mom's like, okay, like, how does it compare? And I was like, nothing compares to this. And then every school I saw after that, it was like, on the scale of one to San Diego State. And I was like, nope, not even on the scale. So I had my heart set on San Diego State. So uh, the tournament that I was recruited at was called the President's Cup, and that's down in Florida. And none of my team, the club teams that I played on, were going there. And I was like, I need to go there because the San Diego State coaches are going to be there, and I want them to see me. Because I had already emailed them. I had sent them a highlight reel. So I just joined this random team called IAS. It was like indoor action sports. I didn't know a single girl on the team, which is pretty hard. If you're, if you're going to play somewhere where you want to be recruited, you want to have chemistry with your teammates and yeah, at least know their names so you can call for the ball, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, for um, sure. I didn't know any of these girls, but our coach was really cool. I had just met her when I got to Florida to play in the tournament, and she was like, give me a list of five colleges that you want to come watch at least one of your games. And I said, I just have one college and it's San Diego State. And she was like, all right, we're going to do it. So there was one day that they had, they came and watched me and we played two games. One game, we got our butt whooped really badly. And I was playing midfield and I basically was sprinting back and forth just as hard as I could from offense to defense the entire game. And uh, to the point where... I think it was uh, Low. She used to be an assistant coach at San Diego State. She ended up coming up to my coach and telling her, pull her out. She's, she's dogging out there. Like, she's working so hard to impress us, basically, and she's so tired. Like, take her out. Like, it's, it's okay. So they subbed me out on that. And basically, so it was cool because she saw how much effort I was putting in, even though we weren't really able to capitalize or win that game. And then the second game they saw – we completely kicked the other team's butt. So she saw me winning draws and scoring goals and giving assists. So it was interesting because they didn't really have that much to go off of. They either had me playing in a game where I was totally losing or playing in a game I was totally winning. So they mm-hmm. sort of had to make their own judgment and they saw that I was like a really hard worker and they saw that I did have skills to like finish a shot and make an assist. So that was awesome. But basically the only reason that they came to any of my games is because my coach hunted down Kylie White in the woman's bathroom. She saw her and was like, this girl only wants you to see her play. Like, please, please, please come watch her. And she did. So I honestly, I don't even remember who my club coach was, but thank you if you're listening. Cause I don't know if I would have ever gotten the offer if it weren't for her. So yeah, wow. that the recruiting process was that. And then from then, they contacted me and we would have phone calls and conversations. And then that led to an unofficial visit and then going to the camp at San Diego state and then an official visit and then going to another camp as sort of like a prospective player, which was really cool. So you're going to camp, but you're already know that you're going to be playing there next year as a freshman. So you kind of feel like you belong. And it, it was definitely a really cool experience. Absolutely. That's a pretty unique recruiting story. Yeah, it, it definitely was. It definitely was lucky for sure. 
And I'm sure they loved that you were hustling in a game that you were losing by a lot. Like you weren't giving up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there wasn't much else I could really do. We didn't really have the ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Now, yeah. you said that you really love San Diego State. What happens if, worst case scenario, the coaches don't offer you a scholarship? At that point, do you think you would have gone to another school to play lacrosse, or do you think you'd have gone to San Diego State as a student? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, since, I, since I probably was a sophomore in high school, I had my mind set on playing lacrosse in college. And it wasn't one of those, oh, yeah, like, maybe I'll play club or something. I was like, I'm going Division One or bust. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I'm going to play Division One lacrosse. So I honestly can't answer that question. I, I have no idea. I, that's really hard for me because I committed there November of my junior year of high school. So I knew I was going there before anyone really even knew what they were doing for college. Before I even took the SATs, I only had to take it once. I didn't even study. My coach was like, yeah, that grade's fine. That's awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah, and I didn't have to. I sent out one college application. So I honestly don't even know if I would have gotten in anywhere else. I sort of looked at Holy Cross a bit. I, there was like a school in Florida that was interested. Um, I looked at Monmouth University in New Jersey, but no school compared to San Diego State or San Diego in general. So that would have been a really hard choice for me. I don't know. Like I was, lacrosse is my life. So if anything, if I had, had, had to, maybe I would have tried to walk on or I would have definitely at least played club, but yeah, I don't know. I, I loved San Diego State so much. But really, the huge draw to the school was just the team in general and the coaches. Like you, and I'm definitely biased saying this, but I don't think you will find another team that was like as close as ours. Like it was definitely, like it was just one big family. And to be honest, I didn't make many other friends at all when I was at San Diego State except for my team because I had like 40 initial best friends right when I got there. And then every year we got 10 more new people coming in. So mm-hmm. I made like 60 best friends within my time being there. And yeah, I definitely wouldn't have it any other way. That's a really hard question. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Luckily you'll never have to know because you got the best of both exactly. worlds. You got to play D1 lacrosse exactly. at the school you wanted to. Exactly. It all worked out. For sure. And how was it being so far away from home? That was definitely hard. My freshman year was a little rough. I was pretty homesick. Um, my roommate freshman year was from Boston, and she definitely got homesick as well. We had a, a whiteboard on the back of our door where we would, like, count down for Thanksgiving break and count down for Christmas break because we were always really excited to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny thinking back on it now because I haven't been back to Connecticut in about three years. So, and my... We sold the house that we grew up in back there, so I would really not even have anywhere to stay if I went back there. But I, I was definitely a homebody and missed home and missed my family. But thankfully, because my dad's a pilot, he was able to come out and visit sometimes. And we did, my parents fly for free because my dad's a pilot, so they would come visit. But also, my aunt and uncle uh, lived on Mission Bay, which is like 15 minutes from San Diego State. So anytime I was ever homesick, they'd have me over for a home cooked meal. They'd take me and buy me groceries. It, oh, it was so just nice. like, 
yeah. So like I always did have family around and if I ever needed it. And obviously like my team was my family too. And there were a lot of girls on my team from the East Coast. So I wasn't the only one. Like we had girls from Maryland, girls from New Jersey, girls from Massachusetts. Um, so yeah, definitely the distance was hard, but the family out there was great. And then my team being my family too. So Nice. And yeah. how often would your parents be able to come see you play? Um, so they definitely came and saw me more, like, as I got older because I started playing more. Like, my freshman year, I barely played at all. But um, they would come to the East Coast games, like, if we played in Maryland or um, North Carolina, they came to see me. The most East Coast stuff they came to um, – during fall ball, they would make sure to come to that because that's usually everyone gets equal playing time. Um, and we would go to tournaments at uh, the Naval Academy. So we went to the Navy nice. one year. So my dad definitely was like, like, heck yeah, like they're going to go to that one. But yeah, so they would come to Maryland for fall ball, definitely. So I would probably see them like at least, at least every three months. But um, sometimes so more frequently. But yeah, my... My senior year, they definitely, I, I don't even know if they missed a game, but um, yeah, they, they did a really good job being able to be there and support me and my family in San Diego and like my cousins would also come to the games too if they were home, which was really cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you mentioned freshman year, you kind of had to wait your turn. You didn't see much playing time. You still did score two goals though. That had to be pretty exciting. I did? Okay, that's cool. I don't remember that. <laughs> Actually, I think I do. I think it was against St. Mary's, maybe, one of them at least or something. But, um, yeah, so, no, it was pretty cool. But my, so my freshman year um, was the fourth year of the program at San Diego State. So that was also a draw to the program. It was, like, it was new, it was fresh, and I was like, this would be cool to, like, start off and kind of leave a legacy because – now it's grown so much and it is a popular place to want to go to school and play. And it's cool that I feel like I was part of the building blocks there, but the inaugural class were, was like the senior group, my freshman year. So they were definitely like super important. And they were like my coach's babies. Like she had grown them from the freshman year all the way up. And so that was definitely playing time was very hard my freshman year, especially because those girls had just, they built the program and like, this was their last year and they were so amazing, like being leaders for us and everything. So it definitely, if I got to get on the field with them, it was like an honor. And I definitely wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting to play a single minute my freshman year. My dad made sure to kind of let me know before I got there, like that this could happen. And I was like, all right, cool. Because that's basically what happened my freshman year on varsity in high school. So if you want to be up and play with the big dogs, you kind of got to realize that you have to earn your spot. You can't, you don't just come in as a freshman and start on the field. You for sure got to earn it. Wow. You know, that's a great perspective that you have being so young. What were you 18? That's a pretty good yeah. to come in and say, Hey, you know, this might happen, but I'm still in, I'm not going to transfer. I'm going to wait it out and wait my turn. I think that's so mature. Yeah. Yeah, and, and definitely a lot of people do transfer quit um, because of that. Because, like I said, you're used to being a big fish in a small pond in high school, and then you get to college, and you're like, what the heck? Like, this isn't what I signed up for. And it's like, yes, 
it is what you signed up for. You just weren't ready for it. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Definitely there were times where I would cry after games or I'd I'd be in my dorm room and me and my freshman teammates would be like, this stinks. Like, we we didn't play that well. Like, our our team didn't do that well that game and we didn't – we still didn't get a chance to get in. And as you get older, you realize, like, yeah, like maybe I'll be out on the field and I'll drop two passes. But if my coach pulls me out after I drop two passes, like that's really going to put me down. Like our Kylie White did a real, and is our assistant coach. They did a great job in, in letting people stay on the field if they made mistakes and give them a chance to like redeem themselves and fix it. Because sometimes if you're a coach and someone makes a mistake and you pull them out right away, they're going to be, they're going to play scared and they're going to be scared to make any mistakes on the field. And that's not, you don't want to, be a player like that. And so they did a really good job letting people make mistakes and let them make up for it and kind of figure it out. And that was also something really cool. And that was cool to watch like from the side and realize like, okay, like I don't have to be perfect. I'm allowed to make some mistakes, but just if you drop the ball, you chase that down and like you try and get that ground ball or you like redefend like crazy. Like, as long as you're showing that you're trying your hardest, like they're not going to pull you out for like little mistakes. So that was something that we learned like gradually throughout the program. And that was really important as a younger player to realize that like when you get in there and you do have your chance to play, don't play scared. I love that coaching style because I admittedly, I don't know all that much about lacrosse, but I'm a huge basketball fan, and I hate to see that when I'm watching it on TV. You know, a, a freshman comes in and gets a turnover and is immediately pulled because then, as you said, they're gonna they play scared the rest of the way. Exactly, and then so to relate to basketball, like if you see you see a player like try and like do a jump and hit a three pointer, and then they miss, and then they're dragging their feet back on the redefend. It's like okay, well, yeah, you're going to get pulled out for that, you know? Oh, but if you, sure. miss, if you miss that three-pointer, but you sprint your butt back and, like, you get in the key and you're ready to redefend, like, then your coach is like, all right, cool, like, you're, you're making up for it, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, it's the people that you drop a pass or you miss a shot and then you drop your stick after and you kind of walk away with your head down, which is something that I did a lot as a freshman that uh, Coach White definitely had to drill into my head, like, stop showing how frustrated you are with yourself and just keep your head up and on to the next. That was like a motto we had. It was just like on to the next, on to the next, or like flush it, forget it. Or like flush it, what was it? Flush it, fix it, and forget it. Like I love that. Don't worry about your mistakes. Worry if like let's what are we gonna do to fix it? And then forget it. Move on. Like this is a new play. This is a new step in the game. And that was definitely super helpful because I'm, de- I'm a mental player. And when I make a mistake, I want people to know that I feel bad, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes I'll watch sports like football or whatever. And a guy will like miss a tackle or drop like a huge pass and he'll walk away like with his chest up. And I'm like, dude, you just missed that pass. But it's like, you got to think like he's got to be in his own head telling him he's already thinking about the next play and being like, okay, I got the next catch. And that's something I had to learn how to do because I wanted people to know that I felt bad for my mistake. But Kylie kept telling me, she's like, it's, everyone knows you feel bad. We know you didn't mean to drop the pass. Get your head up and move on to the next play. And yeah. that was something really important that I, I learned. I love that. And, you know, I love that she instilled confidence because, as you know, as an athlete, confidence goes a long way. 
Definitely. But she did did make sure to let us know that she was not the one in charge of making us feel confident. Like, if you're not in charge of your own confidence, then you're not going to be confident. Like, you can't put that in the hands of someone else. Because if you're, if you're looking to someone else to give you confidence and you're counting on them to make you feel confident, you're never going to truly be confident because you can't always have someone behind you being like, oh, my God, you're so awesome. Great job. Like, you have to be that advocate for yourself. And I, I, don't know, I keep saying, like, that's something really important I learned. And I just I learned so many important things throughout my time there that will just, like, help me throughout the rest of my life even. Like, you, you can't count on someone else to give you your confidence because you're always going to be there for you, but they might not always be there. And that just as an athlete, that's so important. You, you can't count on people in the stands to be cheering your name or your coach to pat you on the back every time you do something good. You just, you have to know, like, in your own heart that, like, you're kicking butt. Otherwise, you're never going to be, like, that confident player. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Kayla, I've never played a game of lacrosse, but I want to go and play for your coach right now. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. It's the best. Like, and when, when we would have camps, like, by the time I was, like, a counselor because I was a player, and we would be, like, hyping up these girls, like, yeah, you want to come here. You want to play here for sure. And it's cool. Like, you – and especially because – so I was a captain my senior year, and it's, like, I was such an advocate for my coach as she was an advocate for us. And it's great to have that relationship and to like trust the process and like enjoy who you're playing for. Like you don't want to play for a coach that you don't like, but like if you like your coach, you're going to extend your body to the limits to like get that win for your team, of course, but also for your coach. Cause like you just, when you're playing for someone that you want to make proud, it's just that much more fun. Absolutely. Your sophomore year in 2015 was a hard year for you because during the spring, your younger brother, Danny, landed in the hospital with a heart condition. Yes. So that was very tough. And, you know, it's my understanding that your mom really noticed the warning signs that Danny had and kind of got him to the hospital just in time. Uh Uh-huh. So I was home for summer break. So I had just gotten back to Connecticut and my brother had had a couple of um, lacrosse games and I went to one of them and he really wasn't feeling good. Long story short, my mom was like, you need to go to the doctor. Something's not right. So we went to our pediatrician and they basically took his blood pressure and his heart rate and everything. And it was like through the roof, but they were like, this machine must be broken because he just looked so healthy and that they were like, there's no way this is right. And so they were like, but you might want to go and get like an echocardiogram or a chest x-ray to see, cause you might have liquid in your lungs because they thought maybe he had pneumonia or something. So they gave him like a, an inhalant, like a, like a steroid inhalant and it wasn't really doing anything like this kid is alignment like he plays football he plays lacrosse and he was getting light like lightheaded and breathing heavily going up our staircase in our house and he was like something's weird and my mom was like you know what no like we're gonna go to the doctor again and then she went and got his chest x-ray and they said there's no liquid in your lungs but 
it seems like your heart is slightly enlarged. Like you might want to go get that checked out. So then one random day, and I will never forget this day, um, my mom was like, oh, we're bringing your brother to get like an, an EKG. Like they put like electrodes on your chest and kind of see what's going on in your heart. And then I think he, I believe he got an ultrasound as well. And I was home for break and none of my friends were around. I was like, yeah, I'll go with you guys, whatever. So we went to Panera. We had like a nice lunch and then walked around this store. And then finally, when it was this time for his appointment, we went in and we were about to go to the Bahamas as a family, but like the island that we were going to did not have to, there's like not a hospital or anything. And my mom's like talking to the technician and just being like, oh yeah, I just want to make sure everything's okay before we leave for the Bahamas, don't want to go there and, like, him be sick or whatever. And the lady definitely saw and knew that something was wrong, And but she's not allowed to say anything. She's not a doctor, so she's just sitting there, and she's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get sat in this room, and a doctor walks in, and he sits down, and this is the most blunt man I've ever met in my life, and he goes, not only are you not going to the Bahamas, but you need to go to the hospital right now. Worst oh case gosh. scenario, you, you might need a heart transplant. And oh I just gosh. broke down and started crying. I like ran out in the hallway. My mom was just, I think she was just in shock. She was sitting there. I don't even know what my brother's face was like because I ran out of the hallway because I was crying. And I just, I will never forget my mom looked at me and she just was like, stop it now. And I stopped crying. I, like, slapped on his face, like, it's okay, everything's going to be okay. They put him on a stretcher, put him in an ambulance, brought him to Hartford Children's Hospital, and me and my mom just, like, frantically got in the car and drove there and met him there. And um, they hooked him up to these IVs and did all these tests and basically were like, we don't think we can handle this here. He needs to go to Boston Children's Hospital, which is the best children's hospital in the country, maybe in the world, to me, in the whole universe, it's I'm Boston sure. Children's Hospital is the most amazing place in the world. Um, they were going to fly in there in a helicopter, uh, but they decided that he was stable enough to go in an ambulance. So my mom waited with my brother in the hospital until that happened. I took her car. I hightailed it back home just threw a bunch of random clothes in a suitcase, put it back in the car, came back, grabbed my mom, and we just drove up to Boston uh, right away. And at this time, my father was in Cambodia. <laughs> that whole story, your dad was conveniently missing. And as you said, in Cambodia, he was playing Survivor for the second time. He had, what, a nine-year layoff and he was on a mm-hmm. season called Second Chances, which the fans actually voted players in. And obviously, as I mentioned, your dad was a beloved guy, so he was a shoe in He's on the yeah. show. He has no idea what's going on back at home. So Correct. take me through this. Was it ever a debate to let him know and pull him off the island? Or what was going on? Yeah, definitely. So... We didn't know the severity of it. We just assumed that the doctor told us worst case scenario, heart transplant. We were like, well, obviously that's not going to happen. Like, why would he say that, first of all? And I mean, obviously we know the end of the story. He did get one. So Mm -hmm. technically that doctor planted that seed and he was correct. So I guess we can't be mad at him for letting us know what could possibly happen. But um, 
So we get to Boston Children's Hospital. My brother's hooked up to all this stuff. All these doctors are coming in saying all this jibber-jabber. We have no idea really what it means. And I don't remember if they diagnosed him. I, I don't remember when they officially diagnosed him, but my brother was eventually diagnosed with dilated cardiomyopathy, um, which basically means his heart was super enlarged. It was attacking its own muscle. And like a normal heart beats, like if you open your hand and spread it wide and then you close it all the way into a fist and you just keep opening it and closing it, that's how like a normal heart beats. But mm -hmm. if you open your hand all the way and then barely flex like the top joint of your fingers, like that's how my brother's heart was contracting. Wow. So barely at all. And they were just amazed that he, like he walked into the cardiac ICU and everyone was just bug-eyed looking at him like, how do you, because my brother's a handsome kid. They were like, how do you look how you look? You're walking in here with these numbers that we're getting on all your tests, like a, a normal individual's ejection fraction, which is like the amount of blood your heart pumps out uh, per beat. I'm pretty positive. I should know this. I just learned it in school. Um, is the, the normal numbers of 50, and he was pumping out at a five. Oh, my God. So that's why he was getting so lightheaded and all this stuff. So basically my mom's like telling the doctors, this is the deal with my husband. Like, what should I do? And I think it was maybe after we were in the hospital for about three days, she was like talking to our doctor and was like, my husband is in Cambodia. Like, are we going to be going home soon? Is because, I mean, my dad lives for Survivor, but obviously, like, family over everything. But sure. my mom didn't want to, like, ruin his experience if it wasn't necessary, you know, if my brother was going to be out of the hospital in, like, a week, say. And um, I actually was supposed to go on the family visit to Cambodia, and I was supposed to get my shots within, like, the next three days to, like, then go and visit. So I, w I joke around that my brother stole my thunder. <laughs> but uh, it's a, it, it was not funny at the time, but yeah, um, it, it is now, thankfully. But um, basically, the doctor said to my mom, things can go south very, very quickly. You need to tell your husband to come here. And that was really scary for us because, I mean, what does going south mean? You know, like if my dad yeah. needs to be here, like basically they're saying like there's a chance that your brother's not going to be okay. So, um Survivor was so amazing throughout all this. I'm sure you saw the episode where they, they went and woke my dad up and tried to do it as calmly as possible. And all this tribe mates were like so loving and caring and to him when he had to leave. And I, we actually got to face. So my mom ended up calling the producers because there's like a number you can call if there's ever an emergency. And she called and told them and whatever. And so they got him on the boat and you see him on the episode getting put on the boat and driving away. Well, while he was on the boat, we got to FaceTime him, and he's got his huge, scruffy beard. The connection's horrible, and he's just crying. We're crying. We're telling him we love him, that we'll see him soon. Um, I think it took him, like, 36 hours or something to, like, travel back. They sent, like, a therapist with him so that he wasn't alone during the flight, so that he, you know, so he had some support because obviously they told yeah. him that his son was in the hospital and he didn't really know that much else. So that was really cool. They sent a therapist with him to make sure, like, mentally he was okay and taken care of. They had, like, this really nice car, like, bring him from the airport straight to the hospital. And 
then my dad was there and then we wrote it out as a family. My brother was in the hospital for about like 89 days straight, I think, before he was ever allowed to leave at all. And yeah, it was really crazy. Wow. And yeah, I, I obviously watched that episode and I, I had known that this was happening. There were some inklings on the internet that something was going on. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly what it was, but when he was pulled from the game, it was, I don't want to say interesting, it's not interesting, but it was the first time that anyone was pulled for the game over a situation at home. Yeah, yeah, because I think there was a, there was an episode one time, I think someone's grandma had passed away, um, but they didn't leave the show. Okay. That's like, I, I think that happened for sure. But yeah, I can't really think of anything like that either. And I think, actually, now that I think back on it, they didn't say to him, your son. I think they said your fam, or they said like your family, someone in your family is sick or whatever. My dad just told me that he remembered thinking like when he first heard that someone was sick, he thought maybe my grandma was sick or something like that. But like never did he expect it to be like my, how old was he at the time? My 17 year old brother or 16 year old brother. So. Yeah. Cause you know, before he left, what Danny was in the middle of his own lacrosse season and nothing was wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely out of, it snuck up out of nowhere and it's, it's really crazy. We still don't really know how it happened. They said it was genetic, but it's just crazy that it decided to manifest itself when it did. Like, what triggered it? We don't know. Um, my mom and dad both got tested for the gene mutation. Neither of them have it. I also don't have it. So the doctor said either they created it together. Like, my parents created that in my brother, like the mix of their two genes together, and I just hmm. didn't get it. But yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. And then this also leads to something that I'm a huge advocate for, which is that I believe that all athletes, as a part of their physical, should get uh, echocardiograms and, like, ultrasounds of their heart. Because you do hear of horror stories of people, like, kids dropping dead on basketball courts from dilated cardiomyopathy and, like, irregular arrhythmias and especially if you're exerting your body the way you are if you're an athlete, I think that that's something that should be included in the physical for sure. Yeah, you're 100% right. You do hear stories about that. Luckily, that story Mm. didn't happen to Danny because your mom took initiative and got him to the doctor. How long did it take for him to get that heart transplant? So it was really quick. It was was pretty crazy. So so the summer, it was summer of... Oh, goodness. I, like, mix up all my years now. It's all kind of a blur, but it was summer of 2015 when he got sick, and basically right before I went back to school my junior year, he had to have an LVAD. He had to have LVAD surgery, which is, like, a left ventricular assistive device, basically, like, a mechanical pump in his heart that was, like, circulating his blood, and he had, like, a power tube literally a cord coming out of his abdomen that was attached to batteries that was basically running his heart and so that was a surgery an open heart surgery that he had to get as like a bridge to transplant so when you're waiting for a heart transplant it could be months it could be years you don't know so he was put on the transplant list before he got that surgery i believe or right after and um 
then he was sent home and he was kind of told to just hang on and wait until a heart was available for him. And he was highest priority on the list. Like he was as sick as can be heart wise, but Mm -hmm. everything else about him was so, so healthy, which made him like a prime candidate to um, be a recipient of a heart. Um, So my brother got this open heart surgery and he was moved out of the ICU onto the normal floor where he was recovering. And before he was even at home, I had to go back to school. And I remember I just told my parents, I was like, I'm not going. Like, I'm not going back to school. I'm not going across the country and leaving him here. Like, he's still in the hospital. And that was really, really hard for me. But, of course, they're like, no, you're going back to school. Your brother's fine. Everything's going to be fine. So I got sent back to school. Um, That whole summer, I really didn't work out at all. Um, I was actually living in Rhode Island at a rental house that my family, we were, they were supposed to come and visit like every weekend and all this stuff, but my brother ended up getting sick. So basically I was living in Rhode Island that summer working at a restaurant. And then since my brother was sick, I was literally driving back and forth from Rhode Island to Boston. Like every time I wasn't working, which was basically every other day. And I, I basically, I didn't work out like at all. Like I had this whole summer packet, this whole summer workout packet. It was my junior year. It was supposed to be like my slump year. And Every time I did try to go on a run, my heart would start beating really fast. And then I was scared that maybe something was also wrong with my heart. And it was just, it was a really weird time. So going back to school was hard, not only because I was leaving my family and my brother, but because I really didn't feel prepared for the season at hand because I didn't work out and do everything I was supposed to do to pass our fitness test and everything. And I'm actually trying to think back. I don't remember I don't know if I passed it the first time, but I'm pretty sure I passed it the second time, if not the first time, but the I'm sure the coaching staff was uh, pretty understanding of the situation though, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, I mean, there's standards your health do, and it's, I, I didn't want to be the exception to that definitely, and I didn't want to bring it onto the field because I wanted it to be something that didn't, I wanted it to affect me positively. Like I, I wrote my brother's initials on like a piece of tape. I had it on my stick. Like every time I walked on the field, I looked at that and I was like, I'm going to play for him. Like, and that was really important to me that I didn't want it to bring me down. And I didn't, I, I, as soon as I left Connecticut and went back to San Diego, I tried not to think about it as much as I could because I couldn't be there and it made me feel guilty. But, um, so that season was definitely hard, for sure. But at the point that Danny does have that heart coming in, did you leave or did you stay in San Diego? So, yes, I was in San Diego. And so three months after his open heart surgery, three months after being on the list um, for UNOS for a heart transplant, he gets the call, which is insane because that's, so quick. Like if you ask anyone who's ever gotten a transplant or any transplant doctors, like three months is insanely quick. He wasn't even fully healed yet from his bad surgery. And he was almost annoyed that he got the call so quickly because he had just finally gotten used to taking care of himself with like his new equipment that he had. Um, but so it was, it was a uh, six in the morning Connecticut time when they got the call and I'm sleeping in San Diego. My phone rings at three in the morning. 
I look over and I see that it says mom and I just like, I almost throw up. Like my heart is pounding. I answer the phone and I'm, I know what the call is for, you know, cause why would my mom call me at three in the morning? And I just go mom. And she goes, we got it. We got the call. And I just like, I started sobbing. She's like, get over, get here right now. <laughs> like get, get over here. And I was like, Oh my God. So I like, I called an Uber, I threw a bunch of stuff in a suitcase, I ran into one of my roommate's rooms, and I just told her what happened, and I ran out, and I got my Uber, and I was on my way to Boston, and I made it there. I was flying standby, because I was flying for free at the time, so that I was a pilot, or is a pilot, I don't get to fly for free now that I'm 25, but um, this one flight, the second leg, I think it was like from Chicago to Boston, um, there weren't any seats left on it. And I just, I've, I've never cried because I couldn't get a seat on a plane before, but I went up to the um, woman working the desk and I just started sobbing. I was like, my brother's about to get a heart transplant and I'm, I need to get on this flight. And she got me on the flight and I will never forget her. Don't remember her name, but I will never forget her. Um, and I got back there in time and we had about an hour to all hang out together before he went into surgery. And so that was amazing yeah it was so amazing that I got back there in time um the surgery was seven hours long and that was probably the longest seven hours of our life um we went my family and I we went to a bar with some family friends and just kind of sat there and like I don't know watched tv and just hung out and tried not to think about anything and then they called us back. They sat us down in this room and closed the door. And I don't know why the doctors always make it seem like they're going to give you bad news. And <laughs> it was good news. They said everything went as perfect as it could be. And um, I believe I was there for about four or five days. I, I missed like two days of practice, I guess. And then once they moved my brother out of the ICU onto the normal floor again, and my parents were like, all right, bye, back to school. And I had to go back. <laughs> But, um, wow. yeah, I, I missed, like, two days of class, so I had to make up some stuff when it came to that. And, yeah, it was it was crazy. My team was that, so supportive. Like, my, my coaches and my team, they sent me, like, like a, a Build-A-Bear, and they all put, like, their name in it on a heart and stuff. And they sent my brother, oh, like, edible okay. arrangements and stuff. Like, they were so supportive, and it was, like, I, I couldn't have asked for a better support system. Oh, that's great. That's great that they're understanding of you having to fly across the country, but at that point, your brother's situation was bigger than lacrosse. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I, I, I think it was on your Instagram, maybe, but you guys, you know, posted something when Danny was given a heart transplant, and you guys were so gracious, you know, when telling the public, you made sure to include the fact that while you're obviously happy that Danny was getting a heart, someone had to pass away for it to happen and that that family was on your mind. It was very classy. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. It was definitely a very weird, it's a weird thing because it's, it's like beautiful. It's the gift of life, but it's someone else's life who was taken that gave us that opportunity, gave my brother a second chance at life. And it's, um, it's pretty crazy too because so he went into surgery like at night and then when the surgery was done, it was like, I don't know, I think it was like 1230, like in the morning or like one o'clock in the morning. And so it, and it fell on 
So by the time my brother's wow. surgery was done, it was 9-11. So it's always a weird day, like, mm-hmm. in general. Um, but, yeah, so the, the boy who was my brother's donor um, was shot walking. He was 14-year-old African-American boy from Philly uh, walking home from school, and he got shot due to gang violence. So Ugh. that's not something we take lightly at all and will forever, forever be grateful for his family for donating his organs. Everyone should be an organ donor, I believe. Um, there's a stigma that doctors won't try to save you if you're an organ donor, and that's a million percent not the case. Um, but, yeah, we're forever grateful for uh, my brother's donor. Yeah, as you should be. And I'm so happy that Danny is so healthy today. And you're yeah. right. You're a huge advocate for organ donation. I think you even have it on your Instagram. Be a donor. That's your I do. Uh, bio. I do. Anything I can do to help kind of get that out there. Absolutely. And I'm also an organ donor. And when I was younger and I was, you know, getting my license and you have that question, yeah. my mom said, put organ donor, put yes. And I guess I never really thought of it like, Sure, but now hearing a story, like, I'm very proud to be one. I would love yeah. for, you know, if unfortunately I pass away, I would love for my organ to be used to help save other people's lives. Oh, 100%. And it's, it's just, it's such a prideful thing, too, because it's like, you could save, you could save, I think, up to like 10 plus people with organs that you can give to them. It's, it's crazy. And I'll... <laughs> I was super into watching Grey's Anatomy, actually, when my brother got sick, which, as far-fetched as it is, it did actually help me sort of realize what was going on better with my brother. Um, And it's also very weird because there's a character on Grey's Anatomy named Denny that Izzy falls in love with, and he has dilated cardiomyopathy, and his name is Denny, and my brother's Danny, and it's just super weird. But um, there's an episode where a woman's husband passes away, and they're asking if he wants to be an organ donor. I guess there was like a patient a couple rooms down who needed like a skin graft because they got a horrible burn or like a patient who was blind who like needed eyes, to, like an eye transplant to see or something. And this woman's like, this is my husband's eyes. That's his skin. Like, no. And I, I understand how that is, must be so, so hard for people. But at the end of the day, you're – you're either going six feet in the ground or you're getting cremated and you don't need it anymore. And sure. I always tell my mom, I said, donate my eyes. My eyes are my favorite part about me. And I would love for someone <laughs> to keep those like going strong, like donate my skin. I don't care. Like I don't need any of it. So it's just, you need to think about it that way. Like you're, you're no longer using it. You're not, your body is just a vessel at that point and like share the life, you know, like continue your loved one's life through someone else and give someone else a chance. I just think it's a very beautiful thing. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm -hmm. And as you had mentioned, Survivor being so great to your family, there's a thing at the end of the episode where the person voted out gives their final words, right? Mm -hmm. So your dad, obviously he wasn't voted out and you know, the situation called for him to get home as fast as he can. He wasn't going to give any final words at the moment. Mm-hmm. But what they did was after your brother had had his heart transplant, whenever that episode was shown, they had had a camera crew at your house in, I guess, Connecticut still at the time. Yeah, yeah. 
and your dad was with Danny. I think they were like sitting outside on the grass. It was super cute. And your dad said, you know, I always thought I was the survivor, but the true second chance survivor is right here. And he put his arm around Danny. And that was honestly my favorite part of the season. So adorable. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I joked up, honestly. Oh, yeah. Uh, Danny's the one who got the second chance, which is just, it's just super amazing. And it's really cool because on the finale, um, obviously my dad was wearing his like Danny Strong shirt and Jeff Probst went over and talked to my mom and my brother. I was there, but I wasn't allowed to sit with them. I guess I wasn't as important. Um, that was <laughs> something I struggled with. I've def- they're definitely in like all the press and like the videos that were made and all this stuff. Like I wasn't included because I was away at school and everyone was like, oh, the Peach family, Terry, Trish, and Danny. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they had Danny stand up and kind of tell about his story. And then they advocated for organ donation as well. And I think they made a donation also to um, the Danny Strong Fund, which is a fund that my family started to aid in um, just research on dilated cardiomyopathy. That's amazing. Yeah. So, as I said, so happy for your family, so happy that Danny is healthy today. Let's get back into your lacrosse career. How does that sound? All right, good. So now it's your junior season. The team goes 4-11. But then for your senior season, you guys have an amazing turnaround, and you go 11-8. and eight. How are you able to turn that around? That's a good question. I mean, we had a lot of strong freshmen come in, which is really important. Like, new blood's always great. And then I think it was just – I honestly oh, – wow, 4-11 and 11 my junior year. I don't even – I, I guess I might have must have wiped that from my memory, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. That was just interesting. But my senior year, it was so. Like I said, my freshman year, the seniors were the inaugural class, and so it was sort of like our chance to finally shine um, because we 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 had to earn it. We had to like work our way all the way up to that point, and our class was very strong. Um, how many people do we have in my senior class? We had one, two, three, four, five, six. I feel like we might have had like 10 or 12 of us. There are a lot of us. I can't really think of it right now. But um, we were just a super strong group. And uh, we, we had like the least attrition out of really like most of the recent classes. Like everyone sort of stayed and we gained uh, two new people that came in that transfer from other schools. And I think we were just like finally ready to be like the starters and to, to be the ones that were like leading everyone. Because I mean, uh, me, my fellow teammate, Kristen Hickey and uh, Katrina Reeves, we were the captains our senior year, but every single senior in our class was such a, strong leader on the field, which I think was like what made it really important and what made us really successful along with the junior class below us and the sophomore class. Like those girls were all super confident because we all created such a healthy team environment where we just were building everybody up. Like, and our Kylie and Brandy made it such a point that it doesn't matter what class you're in. 
like you lead when you're on the field, which I thought was really special and important because, yeah, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're good, you're good, and you need to be able to get out on the field and not play like a freshman. Like you play like a lacrosse player, don't play like a freshman. And that was awesome because, yeah, it's a bummer if you're a senior and a freshman plays over you, but if you're winning – then that's what's best for the team. And you have to be able to sit there on the sideline and cheer them on. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's rough and it's, it's not easy all the time, definitely. But uh, you got to be able to be the loudest one on the bench if you're not on the field. And I think that's how our senior year went was if, if people weren't playing on the field and helping out that way, they were loud hearing everyone on on the sideline and they were working their butts off and practice to make everyone else better, make themselves better. And our coaches always made it very clear that nothing was ever set in stone. Like you could be a starter one week and you might not start the next. Like you have to earn your position. And if you want to keep it, you have to keep earning it. It's not like, okay, Kayla, you're a starter this year and you're going to just start the whole rest of the year because I said so mm-hmm. on the first day. It's like, no, that's not the case. Like if, if you have a couple bad games and you're not doing very well in practice, that sophomore might come up and play in ahead of you and you got to be cool with that. And then you got to work and you want to get better. Cause yeah, you want your spot back. So it's like, it's healthy competition, but you want your teammates to succeed. And I think that's why we were so successful that 2017 season. Absolutely. I think San Diego state sounds like you guys had amazing team chemistry. Yes, that's like, that's literally the, the most strong draw to that team. Like when we're recruiting, it's not even like, yeah, our record might not be the best at certain times, but when you come for an official visit and you hang out with everybody and you see how close everyone is, like nothing can beat that. Like you want to be on a team that even if you lose, you guys like group hug at the end of the game and be like, all right, we got this next time. And you go home and you talk about how the game went and you, you lift each other up and you talk about what you need to work on. And that's the chemistry is the most important part of it. Cause I, I don't know about you, but there are, there are teams I know of that win national championships, but they like hate each other or they're, they're really good and have great records, but they do not get along. And I'm wow. sorry. I don't, I don't want to ring that badly. Like I would rather, lose every single game and be a part of the team that I was a part of than be on a winning team where people don't get along. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Because those relationships go pretty far. Sure, you have a ring your whole life, but the ring can't talk to you, right? Exactly, yeah. So, And I'm still really close with a bunch of my teammates, and it's awesome that we, we have our alumni games and everything, and everyone always tries their hardest to come back to those, and it's just, it's definitely like a sisterhood. It sounds so cheesy to say it like that, but we'll, we'll definitely always be a team no matter what. Like I know that we'll always have each other's back, which is really, really something that I, I can say that I never really expected when I first initially wanted to play college lacrosse. I didn't think that it was going to give me like another family, which is, I'm going to forever be grateful for that. That's amazing. So, Kayla, you graduate in 2017 after a great lacrosse career. What have you been up to since graduating from San Diego State? So it's been an interesting road since I graduated. I worked at a couple restaurants. Um, I actually coached 
Mission Bay High School girls varsity lacrosse team. Um, so that was really cool. I coached that season. They didn't have a freshman and a JV team, so it was basically we had to scrape the bottom of the bowl to get even enough people to fill up a team, <laughs> which was really difficult. Um, definitely tested my patience as a coach, but I thought it was, it was a good thing for me to do for sure. But um, So I was coaching girls who had never even played before, so instead of teaching someone how to do a crease roll or behind the back, I'm teaching someone how to, like, catch and throw which was pretty cool because it brought me back to the basics and I was like oh yeah this is how I learned that's pretty interesting and uh coming up with uh practice plans and everything was cool because I always like loved the drills that we did in practice at state so I would try to incorporate as much as that as much of that as I could um so I did that and then I decided I mean I had always known that I wanted to go to nursing school ever since my brother got sick so my junior and senior year, I took prerequisites like anatomy and physiology um, so that it would be easier for me to apply to nursing school. Um, so I then got my CNA, which is certified nurse's assistant. So those are the people that work in nursing homes or post-acute care facilities. So I was taking care of elderly people, like changing their briefs, helping them brush their teeth, helping them get up to use the restroom, feeding them if they couldn't, turning them. Um, if they were immobile and weren't able to move, you kind of have to turn them every couple hours so that they don't get bed sores. So I did that job for about a year at the Cove in La Jolla. It was an amazing facility to work at, and it definitely helped me kickstart my drive to start applying to nursing schools because I sort of took a couple years off because it's pretty disheartening trying to apply to nursing school. There's a lot of uh, requirements, and if I fit most of the requirements at one school, there'd be a couple things that I didn't fit. And then for another school, I would fit for like the GPA, but I would be missing a class or something. And finally, finally, I found uh, Chamberlain College of Nursing. My friend Ginger told me about it and was like, you should apply. And I did. And I had to drive out to Arizona and take an entrance exam. And they said my GPA wasn't what it really needed to be to go there. But if I did well on this test that I could get in and I did well on the test and I got in and I took that test I believe like December 18th or something and then school started January 8th wow. I believe yeah so I it was very quick I moved out here so I've been I've been here since then um and yeah, I'm going to school, but obviously because of the coronavirus, everything's online right now. So I did go back to San Diego for a couple of weeks and hang out with some friends, um, quarantining there for a bit. But now I'm back in Phoenix with my puppy and we're just kind of hanging out. Nice. And good for you for going to nursing school. And I find that so interesting that you wanted to do that since your experience with Danny. It's amazing how going through something can really change what you want to do in life. Yeah, definitely. I, I had always known that I did want to be a nurse, but when I ended up going to school for lacrosse, basically, okay, I, I majored in sociology, but we all know I really went to school for lacrosse. Um, <laughs> but so I just picked that pretty much because I took a sociology class in high school and I really liked it. And also it was pretty easy and 
there, I would not have been able to be a nursing major and play Division One lacrosse. I'm sure there are people that do that. And if you've ever done that, let me know because you deserve like a gold medal because that's amazing. I don't know how that's even possible, but um, so I had always known that I did want to do it. But then once I went to school at state, I was just kind of like, okay, I guess like I'm not really going to do that now because I don't know. I don't really want to go to school again after this. And then my brother got sick and I was like, yeah, no, like I can't see myself doing anything else. Like this is the only thing I would do that I would be happy with. At first, I was I thought that I wanted to be like a college across a college lacrosse coach, which I still think I would like adore to do that. But um, I definitely like nursing is my passion, and I 100% know that it's like what I'm supposed to do. So through all this bad stuff my brother is again healthy and it really showed me like the career path I do want to take so I'm super grateful for that I can tell you're going to be an amazing nurse thank you of course and you know I also see on social media that you play the guitar and piano and you sing you have a great voice do you see yourself doing anything with that like a little bit more than just putting on social media you think you can Get an album out? Oh, my God. Like that? <laughs> no way. I mean, my godmother won't stop telling me to go on The Voice, but there's no way I would ever do that. I, it's just something I do for fun. Um, I actually took piano lessons for, like, four years when I was, like, in elementary school, and then I quit because I hated it, and my mom told me I'd always regret it, and she was right. Um, <laughs> so I have a keyboard now that I got at a swap me, and I sort of just mess around on it. I can't really do anything cool on it but I did teach myself how to play guitar my freshman year of college if anyone listening is ever trying to learn how to play guitar ultimateguitar.com is awesome way to learn it shows the words and you can like click on the chords and it'll show you where to put your fingers super easy but um and then once you can play guitar you can play ukulele pretty well easily too so yeah that's something I do really like to do for fun I also really enjoy painting but yeah, I love singing. You'll, as soon as the coronavirus is over, you will catch me singing karaoke everywhere. <laughs> I love it. And I love that you can play the ukulele, too. Yeah, yeah. It's super fun. I've, it's, it's easy. Like, once you know how to play guitar, it's, it's a pretty easy transfer. Wow. But as I said, you as someone who, like, I can't sing to save my life, you have <laughs> such a great voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. It's, it's mostly just her in the shower, and I guess when I decide to post on Instagram. <laughs> Kayla, I've had a lot of fun talking with you. I like to end the podcast with a couple of fun questions. How does that sound? Awesome. Sounds great. All right. First question. What are you binge watching during this quarantine? Oh, God. I, um, I watched Little Fires Everywhere, and that was really good. I really like nice. that. Nice. Yeah, I'm watching that too. I haven't seen yeah. the finale yet. I won't tell you what happened. All right. All right. <laughs> good. <laughs> all right. What is your, the best vacation you've been on? Oh, God. That's hard. It would definitely have to be um, before my brother got, the summer before my brother got sick, we went to Australia and New Zealand. And that was insane. We, we 
climbed on top of the Sydney Harbor Bridge. We saw the Opera House. We went to the zoo there. And then when we went to New Zealand, we bungee jumped and, like, walked through these mountains that were used to film The Lord of the Rings. And I just thought that was, it was so beautiful. It was so cool. Wow. That's awesome. How'd you do on that flight, though? That's so long. Oh, my gosh. I think it was, like, 13 or 14 hours. It was on, like, a double-decker plane, too. It was crazy. But um, yeah. definitely a lot of standing up and walking around because I can't sit still for that long. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're supposed to sit still that long either. No, definitely not. Start, like, plotting. Yeah. All right, last question. As a musician yourself, who's your favorite musician? Oh, my God, that's such a hard question. Okay, my, like, my girl is for sure Taylor Swift, but I'm also, like, Lady Gaga is my idol. And then got to throw Halsey in there. She's awesome, too. She is good. I downloaded yeah. recently a couple songs from her most recent album. Yeah, Manic. It's so good. She was supposed yeah. to go on tour and play in Phoenix. I was going to go, but it's canceled now. But I guess there's always next year. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I like all those uh, musicians as well. Yeah, they're super awesome. Give them a listen. For sure. Kayla, I've had a blast. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the podcast. Awesome. No, it's so fun. Thank you, Bridget. It was great. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Kayla Dietz. I hope you enjoyed it. I really appreciate her going into detail about what her family went through a few years ago. I'm sure that's not easy to talk about. I do think she's going to make a great nurse one day. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.